Welcome to Let's Talk Careers Podcast, where we discuss how education can set you apart from the crowd and elevate your career. If you're looking for support, inspiration, or a reason to not give up, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview individuals who have used their education to reach great heights in their career. We provide real-life examples and encouragement to support students on their career journeys. If you're ready to talk careers with us, then stay tuned. Do you dream of studying abroad and learning about an international business? How about traveling to Italy for a life-changing experience? Or traveling to Kenya for an exciting, stimulating adventure? RCV College of Business is now accepting applications for our study abroad program. In 2023, we plan to take two trips, one to Italy and one to Kenya. If you're interested in joining us in May of 2023, then submit your applications online. Submitting the application is simple and simple. Go to the SAU website, click Academics, College and Department, Business, Honors and Activities, Study Abroad Trip Application. Here you will find all of the details about both trips, and you can submit your application right from this page. Hurry, spots are filling up. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Miss Riley, and we have another awesome episode for you all today. Bailey Reed will be interviewing Mr. Jonathan Baird, who's going to be discussing everything from the importance of networking, people skills, to Bitcoin. Mr. Baird is extremely intelligent, and he's going to be dropping so much knowledge that you're going to want to listen to this episode again and again and again to make sure you don't miss anything. Hello, guys. My name is Bailey Reed. I am a senior here at SAU. I'll be graduating in May with a degree in business administration with a major in media marketing and a minor in information systems. So I'll go ahead and let our guest introduce himself. Sure. My name is Jonathan Baird, and I work with People's Bank as the chief financial officer, and I work at Mustard Seed Wealth Management as a partner and advisor. Awesome. We are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I have a few questions about um, your experience here at SAU, and then we'll kind of go over your experience working. um, And then if you have any other questions you'd like me to answer or any questions for me, we can do that at the end. So um, to start off with, could you just give us a quick little overview of your time here at the Rankin College of Business? Sure, yeah. So I started at SAU in 1998, um, and I graduated in 2001 with a degree in marketing. Um, and then I went to grad school, went to actually to seminary at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, came back and uh, went to work immediately for the bank and for Mustard Seed. And I was the only one that didn't have a finance degree. And so I went back in 2009 and 10 and got my uh, degree in finance. And so uh, that was my, my second degree uh, from there. But, yeah. That's that's my the extent of my my stay there. So I came back as a non trad uh-huh. um, and uh, and went through that whole process. So that was interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. You kind of got it all. You got marketing and finance. You yeah. just you're well rounded. <laughs> um. So what was your first job out of college, and how did it prepare you for where you are now? Yeah. So my first job out of college in the year after in 2001 after I graduated, my wife I got married uh, right before I graduated. And my wife uh, stayed for her fourth year uh, to finish up her degree in elementary and childhood education, early childhood education. And I worked at the bank. Uh, so I worked at the bank that year. Um, but then and then when I went to grad school, I didn't I had one job for like three months and found out that 
the uh, the broker world was not for me um, as far as the finan- in the financial planning area. Uh-huh. And then when I came back, so I came back to town in 2005. That's when I went to work uh, for the bank and for Mustard Seed. And so, oh, okay. Um, yes, yeah, so that's when I really, I, I count 2005 as when I really started my career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you handle the bank and Mustard Seed? Is that a lot or you, do you have a good balance? It's it's a pretty good balance. I mean, at first I had an office at Mustard Seed and an office here at the bank, but now I just have an office here at the bank. I go to Mustard Seed you know, regular, regularly for staff meetings and, uh, you know, just other stuff. Like I was there today. I go there pretty regularly, but I mainly just office out of the bank. And okay. uh, my office is set up pretty well for, for you know, working with clients and, and also doing the stuff that the bank, you know, for the bank. But, yeah, I just I spend 90 percent of my time, 95 percent of my time working here at the bank. Okay, okay. Um, I'm kind of like that right now. I'm working a part-time job and an internship, so I've yeah. I've found the balance too. So um, yeah. it's it's pretty neat once you get into you know your junior senior year. You kind of gotta get into working the experience and also taking classes. So it's pretty fun. I've had a good time with that. Yeah. Um, what motivated you to get out of bed in college? What motivated me? Well, actually, um, whenever I started, I uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I when I got started. But then I met who's the, the woman who's now my wife, and that really really got me uh, motivated to hurry up and graduate so that we could get married, um, uh-huh. and you know just kind of start our lives together. So yeah, but that that's really what what got me motivated. It, I, I yeah. kind of played around my first couple of semesters, but once uh, once I uh, you know me and her got together that really lit a fire under me to to start getting serious that's so sweet yeah (laughs) um so what was one of your biggest struggles in college um biggest struggles I I mean I really didn't have any any major struggles um just the first my first semester really I mean my second semester I really kind of started being more serious but uh, I guess the the first semester, early classes, like I had a 7:30 class in a in oh, a wow. um, in a I think it was my uh, legal the legal class you have to take for, uh-huh. for college. I can't even remember what it is now, but um, the legal class I had to get up yeah. at 7:30. So so I did that one time, and after that I, I scheduled all my classes after 9 a.m. Yeah, if, if it didn't start at nine, I wasn't I wasn't even going to consider it. So, <laughs> yeah. I understand that. Um. I think I took one 8 a.m. class, and I was like, no, this is not never for again. me. Never again. Yeah, never no. again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if you could give advice to yourself in college, what would it be other than not taking 8 a.m. classes? Um, if I could give uh, advice to myself, I guess I would just say – uh, try to make try to make good long lasting friendships with people while you're there. Take advantage of the network you have around you. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times people will say it's who, not what you know, um, and that's not exactly true because I think your value should be primarily in what you can do. But it also helps a lot to have a good strong network of people that you can trust and that you know really well. Um, and you know, just being a good person, being the kind of person and friend that people want. I mean, that's really what I look for in employees that we hire at both places. We want people that truly care about others and that are the kind of people that we would want to be friends with. Uh, I mean, really, that's that's one of the big things that's going to set people apart um, from those that, that, you know, don't make it. Um, just be a trustworthy, loyal uh, friend to, to people around you. And, um, 
you know, I think I did a pretty good job of that while I was in college, but now I see more, and it was kind of, I guess, accidental. I wasn't doing it necessarily on purpose. Um, and, and you shouldn't do that, uh, um, you know, just on purpose. Just don't, don't try to like front and be, be somebody you're not. But, you know, I think the more people trust you and the more, uh, deep relationships you can form with other people, uh, that are based on trust, I mean, that's just going to help you, uh, no matter what, no matter what you do. Right. That is really good advice. Um, usually when I've asked people for their advice, you know, they're like, study your classes and all that, study yeah. for your test, but, you know, that's a more personal side of it. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate giving that because, you know, a lot of people just think about advice in college is to, you know, pay attention to the professor and all that stuff. But I definitely do think there is a more personal aspect of it. Um, and even in my senior year, I've noticed that some of these people that I'm in classes with right now, like they're going to be the ones that I'm friends with forever just because, yeah. you know, we, we've got the same skill set and all that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's awesome. Um yeah, the, the academic side is important, but right. to me, the you know the personal part of this is is just as if not more important, and and I think more often overlooked mm-hmm. uh, rather than the academic side. I mean, you know, again, the academic side is important. Don't get me wrong, right. but you know, if you're not the kind of person that somebody can depend on, it doesn't really matter what your academics look like. You mm-hmm. know, if you're not if you're not a good person, <laughs> you know, yeah. people aren't going to want to work with you. So. Uh, it's, it, there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut that you can achieve greatness by uh, by just being really good on the academic scale. So right, yeah. yeah. Did you experience any struggles starting your career after college, and how did you overcome those? Um, struggles. I don't know if I would say they're struggles, but I, I will say that you know we just live in a in a world that is changing at a dramatic pace. Um, I think it's way underestimated how quickly things are changing. I mean, in, in banking, uh, since I went into banking 17 years ago, I mean, it, it's just a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some things that, that always remain uh, static as far as just, again, kind of being a good person, being a loyal person, being a trustworthy person, um, you know, but but the the technology and just the landscape in which we operate in the competitive landscape that we have uh i mean it's just constantly changing and so so be on the lookout for uh opportunities to to change and to adapt new technologies or or whatever new ways of doing things be open minded um you know because if you don't do that if you're not a person who's open to the future and open to change um you know the the industry is going to pass you by. I mean, it's just going to get out of your, you know, it's just, it's going to run away from you. Don't, don't get stuck in a rut thinking it's going to be like this forever. Cause it's not, it's going to change. And I think the rate, the rate of change is only increasing. So we're not on a, we're not on a linear scale. I think we're on an algorithmic scale upward, um, which is good. I mean, it's going to open up lots of opportunities, but you have to be able to, to recognize those opportunities when they present themselves. I can attest to that in the marketing world. Um, everything, yeah. everything changes and there's new trends and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, just, you know, just, just social media. I mean, just what a game, cha- game changer that has been. Yeah. And just, you know, before, uh, you know, traditional marketing, which is kind of what I learned. I didn't learn social media train, you know, training when I was mm-hmm. in marketing. Uh, I just learned kind of traditional traditional stuff. Now, is there some carryover and some, some common stuff? Yeah, sure. But, 
uh, you know, social media itself has just been such a huge in the last 15, well, 10 years especially. But um, even even when I first got out, it was it was such a big uh, opportunity for people to take advantage of. Now you can target your target your audience so much more effectively than a billboard, which I mean, I'm not saying billboards are bad or newspaper or any of the traditional uh, mediums are bad, uh, but just there's so much more uh, that we can do. Right. So, yes, yeah. there is. Um, and, you know, in five years, we may be like, oh, Facebook's so old and there may be yeah. something new. So, yeah, yeah um, sure. always changing. And yep. I've learned in the classes that um, you'll never advance if you're not open to learning, even if it's just like a Google search, like you always have to be learning. Yes, Yes, absolutely. That, that I think that's another thing too that I would encourage. Always just be a life lifelong learner. This is just a starting point for you in your education. Education is is far deeper than just your time in college. Uh, be the kind, be a voracious reader and a and a uh, a ever curious about things. And uh, you know, try to find time to you know figure stuff out and sit around and think. I mean, I think that's really important to do that so that you can stay on top of things, but also recognize those opportunities when they when they come up. So I think that's a really good quality trait of somebody that that wants to do well is to be somebody who has a you know indefatigable sense of curiosity about everything. Um, so, I, I, you know, let your curiosity, curiosity run. I, and I, I mean, I just don't think there's anything bad that can come from that. Right. When did you first become passionate about your field? Um, I actually, I became passionate about it. And I would, I would say that really my, my passion is helping people plan. And so the way I kind of talk about my jobs, both of them, um, I'm a financial planner, I think, first and foremost. That's that's what I am. Um, I'm a planner. And um, so what I tell people sometimes is the bank is my biggest client. Uh, I deal with individual clients on the mustard seed side, and I deal with th- the bank is, is my biggest client uh, that I deal with on the on the bank side. And so I do, uh, you know, kind of the, the investments for the bank and, and just – but other plan. Not just that. I mean, when you're in management – You've got to wear so many different hats and think about so many different situations that that come to mind. And I think versatility is is incredibly important in being able to be a good manager. Um, But, yeah, so my passion for this came about primarily, I think, from my raising, like with my grandfather, my parents. They they always instilled in me uh, good financial, um, you know, principles of basically just saving more money than you uh, than you spend. You, you have to make more money than you spend first, uh, but then you have to take that excess money that you have and invest it and in order to have a, a financially secure future. And so uh, that, I've just always been fascinated with how people live their lives. And, um, you know, some people who make small amount of money, even though they make a small amount of money, they can still do well in, in life if they're careful to plan and they're, you know, they, they watch their spending. And, and uh, I've just always been fascinated with how different people do that. And, you know, from the, from the janitor that, uh, you know, works their whole career in, in that field and saves up a good nest egg to the doctor who, you know, makes a ton of money throughout his career, but doesn't have anything to show for it at the end because he spent more than he, he brought in. And so, you know, 
I think I think there's so much opportunity and in America, especially we have such a great uh, a great system to work in, though it certainly has its flaws. And I could talk for hours about the flaws of our system. But uh-huh. but in general, if you want to make it and you want to do well in, in, in this life in America, you have that opportunity and um, don't let anybody tell you any different than that. Um, actually, in one of my classes this morning, we were talking about how one of my professors knows a guy that mows lawns for a living, mm-hmm. and that guy has um, a condo on the Strip in Vegas. And he's yeah. like, I don't have one of those, and he's the one that got, mows my lawn. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. a neat way to think about it. Sure, yeah. There's people I've, I've heard. Of, I know of a family like that. This guy, you know, my um, it's people my cousin knows, and they uh, they he started a lawn care business in high school, didn't go to college. Uh, but built that up and, and he's, he's my age, I'm 41 and he's, he's basically semi-retired. You know, he's, he's got this business going up and going for him and they, you know, they have a, a fantastic life. So, you know, college is important. Um, but there again, you know, there's so many opportunities. I think that if we'll just take advantage of them, you can do well, even if you don't have a college degree. So, I mean, we just live in an amazing time where yes. anybody, literally anybody can do well. So, yeah. yes. Okay, so we've kind of already touched on this, but what led you to your current position? Um, as far as a CFO, I mean, I think it's just been, it's it's mainly been passion driven. I mean, I'm I'm just completely fascinated with money and finances, and you know how to how to uh, create for yourself a, a secure financial future. That's that's what I'm passionate about. Um, because I see again, it's just because of all the opportunities that I see around. Uh, that so many different people have, and if if they would just take advantage of it, and they would just they would just cut cut a look back a little bit, and be a little bit more disciplined with their spending, um, and so that that passion has driven me to, you know, plan for the bank and to plan for individuals, and um, you know, I love I love to help people succeed in that. So that that's really what has driven me, I think, to this point. So, what does a day in your work life look like? <laughs> it's it varies from from day to day. I I find myself making decisions um on any number of things. Um today we we had a call with a uh, with one of our vendors and we talked about just kind of the future of of what's going to happen in the next few months for the bank and you know what interest rates are going to do on loans and and uh what, you know what we might what we think might happen as far as the the market as far as interest rates and things like that. And so you know, it's it's different every day. Uh, there'll be times I have pretty much weekly we'll have reviews with with clients that'll come in and I'll talk to them about, um, you know, about different things. Like, I, I in fact, I've got to call a client right after this and talk with him about what he's going to do about a down payment on a house. And so, you know, it's 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 a bunch of different things happening all at the same time, basically. And I just kind of have to jump from one thing to another and, and take care of the list. And, and it's it's different every day. And right. I don't, I'm not the kind of person that, that would be comfortable doing the same thing over and over again. I, I, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. You know, just a monotonous job, like a, like a, uh, you know, I don't want to d- disparage any careers because there's some people who we need people who are able to do the same thing over and over again and not get bored with it. Right. Uh, that, that to me is a superpower. I don't have that superpower. I, I'm, I'm, uh, just a little bit too scatterbrained, I think, to do that. So yeah, just yeah. living day by day. Yeah. yeah, day by day, and and you know what's best next. That's what I'm looking to do. So, right. Yeah. So, what is your favorite, or I guess I should say, who is your favorite um, client 
and you don't have to give names or anything. Yeah. I just mean like sure the type it, of person, yeah right yeah the type yeah. of person that's your favorite client. Oh, that's easy. Um, it's people that trust me. I mean, that's really that's that's the kind of people that I want. It's people that. And, and it's not that I, I don't mind people that want to know why I, I tell them what I tell them to do, mm-hmm. but I want people that will trust me when I tell them, hey, look, this is this is the, the good thing to do in this situation. And they trust me so many times. I have a lot of clients who don't trust me and mm-hmm. who will question me and it'll be like, and, and again, I'm fine with questions, but it's right. just that, like it's like they don't trust me. I'm like, well, why are you paying me if you don't trust me? You know, yeah. So yeah. so it's like it's the people that, that take my advice and and, you know, are willing to to listen to me and I'll, and I'll explain to them why. Uh, mm-hmm. But the people that ultimately, you know, do what I tell them to do, because I mean, again, like if if you want me to be your advisor, but you don't trust me and you don't want to do what I say, then, I mean, there's just really no point in, in us having the relationship. So. Right. Um, yeah, it's the people that it's the people that listen to what I say and implement, uh, you know, implement the things that that I can't do for them. I mean, there's some things I can do for people, but mm-hmm. as far as like just external things, like should I buy this house? Should I not buy this house? Should I buy this car? Should I not buy this car? Should I, you know, should I do this this deal in my business or not? Um, you know, and you know, of course, there, it's not that I, I get to dictate what everybody does or anything like that. Um, but it's just people I think that that we have a good trust uh, a relationship based on trust and they, you know, they listen to me and implement where, where they think I'm right. I mean, obviously if they think I'm wrong, I don't, <laughs> I don't want them to do it because I'm not right about everything. <laughs> that was kind of my next question. Um, do you help cl- like clients and businesses or is it just like a personal client or like, how does that work? Yes. Yeah. No, I do both. Like I, I help people, I advise them on their business if they have business. Um, I advise them on, because like with anything, I mean, one of the big things that we preach a lot is diversification. And so I'm not naive. So naive is to think that some of my clients aren't going to have endeavors and things that don't include uh, that that don't include me managing their money for them. You know, they're going to there are people that have rental properties or people that have other businesses that they invest some of their money into. And I'm not you know, I. I'm a fiduciary, and so I have I have a fiduciary responsibility to my clients, which means that I have to put their interests before my own, especially in this. And so that means that sometimes I'm going to say, you don't need to put your money in this. You need to pay that debt off, mm-hmm. which makes me less – nets me less money, which is fine. Um, or that sounds like a good opportunity. You should do that rather than let me invest the money for you because you have some special set of skills that would allow you to to capitalize on that opportunity. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, different, different clients are going to be, have different situations, but, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the way I put it to, uh, for the bank, the bank is my biggest client for my individual clients. What I'll tell them is I'm your CFO. You're the CEO. I'm the CFO. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm here to give you advice. You can take or leave it, but I'm going to try to give you my best shot at, you know, whatever situation you're looking at. So yeah, I'm just kind of hopefully, uh, to them, a trusted financial guide, you know, for them. That's what I try to be. That's awesome. Just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh, I, I should, I should look into that. You should. It's, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great field to be in. It really is. Very low capital expense. Really, I mean, just we work with our brains all day long. I mean, that's what we do. And right. so there's no, we don't have heavy, heavy machinery. We don't have a lot of capital. In, we don't have to have, you know, vehicles and stuff like that. We just, it's just our brains. Right. And, you know, we, we get to we get to use our human capital. And so it's it's a really great business to be in. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to someone pursuing a career path similar to yours? 
Yeah, I would say so. Similar to mine, I would say to and and this you know this might be a little bit controversial in some circles, but what I would say is I just think in the financial planning world, you've really got two tracks you can go down. One track is the broker track, um, which I I went down that that's where I went down that track for three months and realized that was definitely not the one I wanted to go down. Um, but and because the the track that I ultimately chose to go down, which is the registered investment advisor track. For me, I don't have any conflicts of interest outside other than it's better for them to bring their money to me than somebody else. That's the only conflict of interest I really have. Yes, I make more money if you bring your money to me to let me to let me advise you. If you could find somebody else to do it for free, that would be better, and I would tell you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're on the broker side, you're going to be tempted to – there are going to be conflicts of interest. There's going to be different mutual fund companies pushing you to sell their product or whatever, and – you know, and I'm not saying, and there are really good people in that industry. I'm not disparaging the entire industry. I'm just saying that it's much easier to to operate and act in your client's best interest if if you have the right structure around you. And the RIA structure, registered investment advisor structure, to me is a far superior structure to to operate in this business. Um, on the banking side, I would just say again, you know, kind of similar as well. You want to work for a bank if you go into banking that really cares about people, and that's that's what we try to do here at People's Bank, from the top to the bottom. We care about people first, um, you know, and that has done. We it, it turns out to have been a really good business decision to do that as well. If you take care of people, you take care of the people that work with you and for you. They'll take care of you, and it works out really well. And so that's what I would say. I would want to work for a, for a, any any business, and, and this goes to, to everything. You want a, a business that cares about people and that cares about um, you know doing the right thing, even if it costs us money to to do the right thing. So that's what I would say. That would be my litmus test. Who has been your biggest supporter or mentor over the course of your career? Um, I, I have many. My um, my parents, of course, have been great. My my mom is actually the CEO of People's Bank, and so she's been a great mentor and, and supporter of me. My dad as well, been very supportive of me and proud of of what I've done. And uh, my grandfather was a very early influence on me, and um, kind of kind of um, he, he's he's pretty well known in the community. Harold Fincher, he was quite the character, but he he instilled in me a lot of principles early on for. For saving money, I would say as far as my career, Dr. David Ashby, who was who was with SAU, where he taught at SAU for twenty something years, just um, uh, retired a few years ago, and and now works full time at Mustard Seed. He's been uh, an invaluable resource, great guy. Um, just if you could work for for Dr. Ashby at, at Mustard Seed and and had that opportunity, I would take it in a heartbeat because he's he's a great person to work for and work with, and just you know a very common sense, down to earth guy, um, and just he's a great example, I think, for for people to look up to. So that's awesome. Um, my parents, you kind of touched on your parents being supporters. My parents are the biggest supporters, um, and yeah. my siblings and all that too. So, um, let's see, what's an example of a mistake or failure that you experienced during your career, and what did you learn from it? Um, I mean, thankfully, I haven't made any like huge errors, and there are lots of errors that can be made here. I, I remember one that I did early on, um, and it was it was actually on the bank side. I I, I put in a a market order for an ETF that 
um, that caused the price to spike and it cost the bank about $15,000. Um, and so I learned, I learned from that to not make that mistake anymore. I mean, it was, it was a total fluke and it, I mean, I, I could have prevented it from happening, but boy, when you, when you make a mistake like that, it, it really, and it, you know, it was a pretty big transaction, so it wasn't like that big of a deal, but it really irked me that it happened to me, you know? Right. Um, and so I just, you know, I learned from that, like, oh, we got to put in limit orders on these big trades like this, because if you, if you put in a big trade out in the market, uh, you know, if there's not enough liquidity in the market to fill it, the price just starts going up and it'll, it'll trigger at a higher price than you meant for it to happen. And then, so what happened with mine, the price spiked and then it went right back down after my trade went through. And so I was able to look at it and be like, oh man, <laughs> that was an expensive mistake. So, yeah. Yeah, it happens. It yeah, happens. yeah. Um, so what is the most important soft skill that will make it or break it in the office? Most important soft skill. So is that like interpersonal, I'm guessing, what you mean by right. that? Soft uh-huh, skill? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh, wow, that is such a good question. Um, you know, I think I think it's the personal touch, obviously, of just being able to get along with people, trying to figure out how to – everybody has a different personality. Everybody has different, you know, different flaws. We have different flaws in our personalities, and I think you have to you have to learn how to be the kind of person who can get along with with all different types of personalities. Um, and you know, and I think that comes from genuinely caring about other people and seeing other people as individuals and seeing them as people who have flaws like just like you do. And, and also recognizing yourself as as somebody who's a flawed individual. If you if you think you're perfect, um, you know that's going to shine through. It's going to be obvious to people when you talk to them. And so if you if you think of yourself more highly than you ought, it's gonna that's going to bleed out on other people, and it's going to cause interpersonal strife to happen. So I think just just being the kind of person that can get along with with different types of people, um, you know, we've. <laughs> there's just so many different types of personalities that you have to deal with. And being that kind of versatile person that can get along with, with a bunch of different types of people is an invaluable skill that, that, I mean, you just have to learn it. If you don't, I don't know how you get, get along without learning that skill of just learning how to get along with people and, and understanding people, you know, just, it, it, I understand this person has this tendency. Like they're very tenacious. They're very type A personality. They're high strung. They, you know, they, but, but it's coming from a good place. You know, they they want excellence. They want to do well. They have very high standards for other people. And, you know, and that can rub people the wrong way sometimes. But I think if you if you kind of try to analyze what they're doing, you see the good in, in what they're trying to do. And so it enables you, I think, to uh, put whatever personal differences you might have behind you and, and think, okay, well, they're trying to act in the best interest of the organization. And, you know, I need to recognize that. Um, uh, one joke we have around the office sometimes is so-and-so wants me to be a better banker than I wanted to be. And uh, I think that that comes through sometimes with, with some of these more tenacious people that, that are really uh, driven and, and have very high standards. Um, And so anyway, yeah, I think that's it. Just, just really being a versatile person in terms of getting along with different types of people. Right. Um, now, I have a little bit of experience in the food industry. Um, yeah. I worked at a fast food joint here in Magnolia, and one of my coworkers could just get along with everybody. And mm-hmm. it was like, I just wanted to be like her because, I mean, she could just yeah. talk to all of our customers. And even if they came in grumpy, like she could have them smiling by the time they left. 
And it was just like, yeah. I was just, I would just sit back and watch her because I was like, how do you do that? But yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it's just an invaluable skill to be able to get along with people and to be able to to diffuse situations when they come along. I mean that it's it's really important. You know, we've got uh, Jamie Waller works here, and he, I mean, he is just a master at this. Uh, his interpersonal skills are just phenomenal, and um, you know everybody likes him, everybody trusts him, and you you can't you can't lead people unless they trust you and unless it's obvious that you care about them. And, you know, to the degree that 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 those qualities shine through, you're just you're going to be you're going to get opportunities. People are going to see that people above you are going to see that. and They're going to think this is the kind of person I want working for right. me. We're going to I'm going to give this person opportunity. We're going to give them responsibility. We're going to put them over other people because they know how to deal with people. I mean, mm-hmm. it just it that to me, the academic part, that's kind of the easy part. You know, you can if you can read and understand and retain knowledge, that's one thing. But dealing with people, it's an art. It's not a science. And it can I mean. There are some things of this that can be taught, but, you know, there, there are just some people who are born leaders and and, um, you know, some people can learn it. Some people can go from being a mediocre leader to being a great leader. But more often than not, it's it's from the heart. And, you know, you kind of either got it or you don't in some in some cases. And so, um, you know, to as much to uh, as great a degree as you can try to be that kind of person. That's awesome. Um you know, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm just thinking of like how great that my coworker was. She just mm-hmm. she could just do it all. Um, yeah. So one more question. Um, well, actually, I'll have a few more after this. But what do you think about the current state of the economy, and what are some ways individuals can prepare for what may come in the future? Sure. So we live in a very unique time, I think. Um, we, we've gone through the Industrial Revolution. We've gone through the Technology Revolution with computers in the 70s and things like that. Now we're in the Internet age. And, again, I just think the the progress that we're making on any number of fronts is just exponential. We have And we have such a hard time, I think, thinking exponentially. We think in linear terms. We think in terms of 5%, 10% yearly growth in, in certain areas. But I just think we we our world is too small in our brains about the opportunity that that I think is coming down the pipe. I mean, there's so many big problems that 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 are being worked on right now that are gonna they're gonna be great overall for society, but they're also gonna displace people. You think about something like um, self driving and what that's gonna do to the trucking industry, for instance. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna drastically reduce the cost of goods and services. Uh, in our economy, but it's also going going to give opportunities, I would say, for those 30 million truckers who today are, are driving. And we got to figure out what to do, you know, what to do with that number of people um, that are, you know, going to be basically their, their jobs are going to become obsolete, maybe not overnight, but in a pretty short period of time. Um, but, you know, but that's the economy that we live in. It's just it's 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 changing and developing and progressing at a breakneck speed. And I just think we need to be we need to be ready to to deal with that. Couple that with the the crazy um, economic policies that our country has right now with with the dollar and the way you know the way it's being printed out of thin air at an alarming pace. I mean, if you think about it, one, I think one of the really under underrated underestimated. Uh, things that's happening right now is the expansion of our monetary supply. Um, and so in the last two years, if you have $100 in your pocket, 40 of those dollars have been created out of thin air in the last two years. And that, and we're seeing that now in the, infl- in the inflation rate. You know, the last inflation print that we saw was 
And, you know, for, for a lot of people, that's really, it's a really tough thing to deal with. Uh, wages went up last year too. Wages went up about 5.6%. But if, but if inflation's up 8.5%, that's, you know, you can't make that up on volume. As long as there's a big gap between how much wages increase and how much your expenses increase, that's not, you're not winning if that's the case. Um, and so to me, one of the big things I think that we have to reckon with as a society and as, as, you know, as a global, economy is what what are we going to do about our monetary policy and this is where i think things like bitcoin make a whole lot of sense for us to be talking about um because bitcoin is unlike any other monetary policy or monetary asset in history it is a fully decentralized global payment network that enables the speed of light transactions to anywhere in the world with final settlement within minutes versus our current debt-based system that is basically based on 1950s technology. We're still using the same technology for that. And um, I think Bitcoin is a revolution in and of itself. And I'm really excited to see what happens with with that space in the next 10 to 15 years to see how it can affect us. Okay, so Bitcoin is a new topic for me. Um, Could you expand a little bit on how it works and that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, So historically, what money has been has has taken the form of in any society is the most tradable good. And a tradable good includes certain properties that we all look for when we're, when we're thinking about how to transact, you know, between each other for all the different, you know, goods and services that we have in a, in a given economy. The more, the more um, complex an economy gets, the more important money becomes. And we live in a very complex uh, economy. Um, but our money is, again, based on fiat. It's not based on anything. Um, it can be printed. It, the supply can be printed and expanded at the whim of a few people in Washington, D.C. Bitcoin, on the other hand, to contrast it, has has all the qualities that you would want in good money, which which include scarcity, portability, divisibility, fungibility, um, and, and it lasts forever. There's no – it doesn't erode over time. Uh, gold, if you want to think about it in the analog world, gold has been a good medium of exchange or currency because because it, it possesses all of those qualities. Um, you know, you can't print it out of thin air. You can't just create money. You can't just go print gold. Um, it has to be mined, and it has a very um, a very predictable supply uh, increase that happens every year of about two percent per year. Um, you know, when you've got a monetary policy or monetary system that can increase at 30, 40 percent over a couple year period, that introduces a lot of uncertainty into into prices because, um, you know, the amount of money that, that is flowing in a system should be somewhat uh, tied to the amount of goods and services that that economy produces. And if you produce too much money, you get inflation. Well, Bitcoin prevents the government from creating unexpected inflation. Bitcoin cannot be changed by the government, by any centralized authority. And so it really is, I mean, to put it in a sentence, Bitcoin is the separation of money and state. And so every other currency in the world that that has any kind of market share in that space is is has been created and distributed by a centralized authority, mainly governments. Well, Bitcoin is the first one that had, you know, has been created out of, uh, you know, from from the bottom up. Um, it's a decentralized system that 
is based on you know mining and there's all these no there are all these nodes around the world that that uphold the network and defend the network from attack um, and we know with certainty that there will only ever be 21 million units of Bitcoin unlike any other currency in the world I mean even even with gold there could be a huge find of gold somewhere that increases the supply by 10 percent in one year or you know or in one year maybe there's there's not much but but it's the, the gold supply even 10 15, 20, 30 years from now is unknown. We know exactly how many Bitcoin there are right now in circulation. We know exactly how many Bitcoin there will be in 100 years from now. Um, and so so it, it takes that power away from these centralized authorities, from these monopolies that, that issue the, the currencies that we all use, and it puts it in the hands, puts that power back in the hands of the people. And so it really, you talk about inclusion, we're worried about inclusion and banking the unbanked and all of that. Well, Bitcoin does that better than any other system that we've ever seen in the history of the world because it enables everybody to participate. It doesn't care. It doesn't have any creed. It doesn't have any philosophy. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything. All it's based on is math. Um, and if you have access to the Internet and you have a, you know, some software that you use, you can, you can uh, partic- participate in this network. And so it's it's incredibly important, I think, for the world to adopt something like this. And, you know, Bitcoin has been around for, I think, 10 years now. Um, and it's grown from basically zero dollars in value to coming up on a trillion. It got up to over a trillion back a few months ago. Um, and so uh, I think it's it's shown that it's got the, the first mover advantage. Um, it's got the brand recognition it's got all the qualities that you would want in a good currency to take us to the next level. Um, and so anyway, that, that's a little bit about it. Any, any further questions on that? That may have been too much. Not yet, but thank you for explaining that. Cause yeah. like I was saying, I'm in the marketing part of it. So, you know, I don't deal with all like the monetary stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. Um, and then I have heard that you wrote a book. Can yep. you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, the book is called CFO Dad, and um, I had been I started writing it right before the pandemic started. So back in I believe uh, November or December of 2019 is when I started writing the book. And as I was getting close to finishing the first draft of it, that's when the pandemic hit. And so the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, while I wasn't doing much. I was finishing up writing my book so that I could get it out so that I could give people something to, to read and think about, you know, during the pandemic. That was my idea anyway. Um, but it's, it's the name of it again is CFO dad, how to lead your family to, to financial freedom or how to guide your family to financial freedom. And, um, and the whole point of it is I just wanted a regular guy or gal to, it's, it's called CFO dad. I kind of market it to dads, you know, cause I'm a dad. It's like, it's like, what would I say to my younger self, basically, is, is right. what how I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And so I go through in the first few chapters, I, it's kind of a pep talk like, hey, this is possible, kind of like what I've been talking about today. Financial freedom is possible. Financial security is possible. And then I talk about how to do that. And so I just go through all the different tools that you can use, like, uh, you know, what should you do with, with an employee re- or employer retirement plan, uh, Roth IRAs, regular IRAs, HSAs. 529 plans for the kids for college savings, um, health savings accounts. Um, char- I do some a chapter on charitable gifting. I do a chapter on like how to how to uh, you know teach your kids about money. Um, and I talk about I think the the last chapter is is how to pick a financial advisor. And so my my goal for this is 
I wanted to distill the knowledge that I would spend maybe a few hours teaching somebody one-on-one into a book that could be read in about an hour and give you basically a starting point to to really secure your financial future. If you if you take this book and do what it says, you're going to be okay. I mean, that's that's really what what I was trying to do with this book. And so um, I never I never thought I'd make a lot of money on it, and I'm glad I didn't think that because I haven't made a lot of money on it or anything. <laughs> but it was it's, it was a really good experience and a really uh, you know it opened doors for me to be able to talk to people and 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 that's what I want to do. I mean, it was never a money making opportunity for me. It was always about how can I give back? How can I um, you know, because in, in financial advising, you know, most of the time there are going to be account minimums that people need to be able to come for me to be able to take them on as a full client. Right. Well, what about the people that haven't gotten there yet? What can I do for those people? Well, this is this was my answer. Just write a book. And, you know, if they know me and they, you know, they trust me, hey, read this book, do what it says, and you'll be fine. And come come back and see me in 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. when you get ready, when you really need a financial advisor. So that's kind of the, the, the niche I was trying to fill with this book, is just give people a good introduction to get them started on going in the right direction on their finances. That is awesome. Um, that That's just such a cool idea to me. I'm not much of a reader, but like, just the yeah. idea of writing a book and having it published that's that's really neat so yeah it, it, it was a great experience i mean if nothing else i had i had fun doing it so yeah um and and you know i've got i've got some videos on my facebook page i did a i did a presentation on it at um at new life church here in town mm-hmm. and i mean i went through basically the whole content of the book in that session so for those of you who who don't want to read if you'll just listen to my 2 hour session i did it, it, i've got i think there are, there's two or four videos on my on my CFO Dad Facebook page. Um, the first set are kind of my, my religious beliefs about uh, and the- theological beliefs about money and, and, and how to use it. But the second the second uh, video in that series is just the content of the book. So if you want to listen to that second series, you'll have all the content of the book for free. Right. Um, and you know, so yeah, just just listen to that and, and you'll you'll get the, the contents of the book. Okay, I will be doing that tonight. I'm gonna yeah. write that in my notes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for joining us today. Is there anything else that you would like to cover or talk about or anything like that? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we've covered covered everything. All right. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for our listeners, to our listeners for listening. So, um, again, great. just thank you much for your time. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It was great. Of course.